Hello everyone. Do you like reading? Do you like walking? Do you like thinking about your life? Then we have got something for you. Our Common Ground Pilgrimages are going to be announcing our slate of fall and winter 2020 pilgrimages on March 2nd. So if you sign up for our newsletter at readingandwalkingwith.com, you will be the first to know when registration launches and only people on our newsletter will get 30 minutes early registration access and it's first come first serve. So signing up first might mean the difference between getting a spot or not. There's less than 20 spots on each pilgrimage and one of them might be involving me and a book that we all love. So you're talking about you leading a pilgrimage with he's just not that into you? A hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I'm there. So that's readingandwalkingwith.com. Sign up to the newsletter. Be the first to know about our pilgrimages this year. Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four Privet Drive were proud to say that they were perfectly normal, thank you very much. They were the last people you'd expect to be involved in anything strange or mysterious because they just didn't hold with such nonsense. Mr. Dursley was the director of a firm I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Casper, one of the first conversations that we had about Harry Potter, I was complaining about this inconsistency in the novels that always annoy me about when wizards wear muggle clothes and when they don't. And you said to me, well, what if we treated that as if it wasn't an inconsistency, but it was there on purpose? That conversation was so exciting to me because it took something shallow, like this shallow, cynical thing that I'm really good at. I'm really good at being cynical and critical and ironic. And you were asking me to be sincere and optimistic about the text again. And I think that that is what we are going to do in this podcast. We are going to ask ourselves, what if we take this seriously? What gifts is it going to give us if we love something and we love it with rigor and we love it with commitment? Hmm. So why are you excited to do a Harry Potter and the Sacred Text podcast? Treating Harry Potter as a sacred text was not something I was planning on doing. I was in divinity school against all expectations. I grew up in a non-religious household and never thought I'd be sitting in a Bible study class learning how to understand this ancient text. And it was interesting, but it never felt like it was mine. I, I didn't love it. it and I happened to go on vacation with my family. And, you know, after about two, three weeks of being just with my family, I wanted to escape. And so looked for something to read, something that would be comforting, something that would remind me of a place where I felt safe. So I downloaded Harry Potter and I started reading it. And not only did it make me feel comfortable and safe and took me out of the situation I was in and into an imaginary world, which I loved already, but the themes and the questions that were in these books were so big. They were just as big as the Bible questions that I'd just been reading. You know, the, the same questions of love and fear and death and even resurrection that were showing up in the Bible class were showing up in the Harry Potter text. And the difference was that the Harry Potter books felt like they were mine. I could claim them in a way that I never feel like I could claim the Bible because this was a text I had grown up with. It's a text that I'd grown to love as, as a child. So for me, treating Harry Potter as a sacred text is, isn't that strange. It's something I think I had already done in a small way. Um, but now we're going to do it for real. 
Totally. Since we've been talking to people about this, so many people have told us stories of every time I go through a breakup, I want to reread the Harry Potter books. Um, When my mom died, I read the Harry Potter books, right? People are already doing this. And they've got specific passages or they've got specific books that they'll read. And, you know, Hogwarts will always be there as a place to return to, as a safe place. Yes. The thing that I love about treating a text as if it was sacred is that we're giving ourselves the permission through rigorous practice to really see ourselves through the text, which is a really exciting thing, right? You can use it as instructive. Right. It's easy to say that, but the practice of doing it takes work and it takes concentration and discipline. Oh, absolutely. So there's this story that has become really meaningful to me, and it's about this town in France right before um, World War II. This was a Huguenot town in a Catholic country, a Protestant town in a Catholic country. And so they, for hundreds of years, had been oppressed as a Protestant community. And because of the suppression, they had turned that into a real strong commitment to this idea that roughly translates into radical hospitality. And so what's great about this is that World War II comes along and French Jews, you know, in Vichy France are like, oh, there's this town that is used to being oppressed for their religion. That sounds like what I'm going through. So French Jews start like knocking on these doors. And this town, just because it was practiced in the commitment to radical hospitality, they had something that they always did, right? They opened their doors to refugees. And they did it with compassion and generosity. And they ended up saving hundreds of Jews. And, you know, opening doors to refugees, I'm not trying to get political with our current circumstance. But I just think that by taking something that you love seriously, and they took their idea of radical hospitality, an idea that they loved seriously and were committed to it, you have no idea what gifts it's going to give you. And we usually talk about this in terms of skill sets that you can then apply in the job market. And there are great stories about Wayne Gretzky and Mike Gaza and, you know, athletes who were so committed to their sport as kids and then became amazing athletes. But we don't talk about this a lot in terms of practicing just values that matter a lot to us. It's like, oh, that person is loving as if it's some sort of natural state to be loving I think that if you want to be a loving person, you have to think about what does being loving look like? How do I do that? And you have to practice it. You're sharpening a tool in your toolbox and you have no idea how you're going to be able to wield it. But I think that Harry Potter is sort of a blunt tool in a lot of people's toolbox. And we're going to show people that if you love something and treat it with rigor, you can be sharpening that tool. And it doesn't have to just be Harry Potter, right? If you love baseball, love it. Hmm. So, Casper, every week we are going to read through a theme. We're going to be looking for a certain theme. Why are we going to do that? Well, there's so many different ways that you can look at a text. And I think it's helpful to kind of put on some glasses and think, okay, let's read this chapter through the theme of loss or through the theme of attachment or selfishness. You know, it opens up a whole new set of windows on the meaning of the text. And we get to be creative with what those themes are. So I love the story that you told about this town in France and the commitment that they had to hospitality. So I think it'll be fun to read this chapter, this opening chapter, The Boy Who Lived, through the theme of commitment. What do we learn about the characters that they're committed to? So that's this week's theme, commitment. Before we explore that theme, let's just remind people what happens in the first chapter. 
every week we're just going to do a 30 second recap. We'll both have a go. And for anyone who wants to, you get to vote who does a better job. Obviously, I will be winning your vote. It will definitely be me. That's cute that you think it's going to be you, though. Vanessa, why don't you start? Go. There's a family called the Dursleys, and they're obsessed with being normal. They have a two-year-old son named Dudley, and Dudley acts like a two-year-old. Mr. Dursley goes to work. He works in drills. He hears all these weird things going on, but he just wants to ignore it all day. One of the things that he hears that perks his ears is the uh, name Harry Potter. He comes home and there's this weird cat and the cat's behaving strangely and then the cat turns into a woman and then this man shows up and this other man shows up on a flying motorcycle and he has a baby. And so the first man that I talked about drops off the baby in a bassinet on the doorstep of the Dursleys with a note and the Voldemort. Oh, so close. I love that you say he works in drills. Like, <laughs> like that's a thing. <laughs> oh, I work in drills. <laughs> All right, count me in. On your mark, get set. There's a family called the Dursleys, young couple, small baby, um, and uh, weird things are happening. But but they're obsessed with being normal, so they don't like the weird things happening. Um, Vernon, who's the dad, works in the drilling business and sees all sorts of strange (laughs) things happening. He likes drilling. Okay, um, uh, cat on the wall, man delivering baby, uh, baby magical, bad magical person died, so everyone happy. Um, uh, owls. There's owls and shooting stars, and the baby has a scar. And he's called Harry Potter. <laughs> that was like 32 seconds. That was pretty good, though. Uh, beginner's effort. Yeah. So, Casper, as we discussed, we're going to talk about a different theme every week, and this week we're going to talk about commitment. And I don't know about you, but in reading this chapter, rereading this chapter, I found commitment all over the place. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because it we, we already learn so much about some of the key characters and what's important to them. Right. So it does show up in unexpected ways. So this is the third time I'm reading the book, and I'm reading it with this lens towards commitment. And this was the first time I read it that I had a really hard time hating the Dursleys. Huh. Yeah, I I just see them as very committed to a lot of things. So we're told that they're committed to normalcy. And we're all predisposed, especially when you read this as a kid for the first time, to think that that's a bad thing. Right. But why is that so terrible? Theoretically, you're saying that civilization has been discerned over thousands of years, and this is the mold to which society has decided is best, and I'm going to try to fit in with that. I guess normal is better than being a Death Eater. I I would like to think that I'm committed to a higher ideal than normalcy, but I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with people who are committed to that ideal. But in some ways they are. I mean, later in the chapter when, um, you know, he's been hearing about all this kind of strange news, which reminds him of this sister of his wife. He's very careful about how he broaches the subject with with Petunia, right? I think he's really committed to loving her, actually, because he asks, "Uh, Petunia, dear, you haven't heard from your sister lately, have you? He doesn't mention the name Harry Potter. He's very careful. He's very he doesn't want to bring up something that's painful for her. He's committed to to protecting her from things that are painful. He seems to be very committed to her and to the family. I just And a normal life together. And to working hard. And he's so committed to working hard. In the book it says very specifically that his back is toward the window in his office. So that and he doesn't get distracted by so things. So he doesn't that, get distracted. Uh, I would very intentionally I always face the window when I work so that I get distracted. I think that that shows a commitment to working hard. And sure, he like yells at people and that's a bad thing and whatever. But I don't know. I think that he cares a lot about his work. 
And what? They like gossip. We all watch reality TV. I found myself relating to them. I will say, though, there's like on page eight or nine, there's that line about imagination they didn't hold with such nonsense. And I was like, okay, maybe you guys are committed a little bit too much to this normal thing. What I think is so interesting, now that we're reading through commitment, I see it everywhere. It's like rolling is introducing us to these people through commitment, which I had never thought of before. But from the very beginning, we see Hagrid as committed to caring for small creatures. Hagrid has just, I think, theoretically met this baby, and yet he's weeping over Harry and the fact that he's dropping him off on this muggle door. So, I mean, like, weeping. He's not dropping Harry off to the slaughter. And he's so moved by caring for this tiny creature. And we see it over and over again with him. Well, he's always looking out for the outsider, which of course makes sense because he was an outsider and and remains, you know, throughout the books. And there's something that, ironically, for such a big man, there's something very maternal about Hagrid always. He's always looking after creatures or, or, or living things, really, that are rejected or on the margins in a way that, you know, Harry is going to the margins and he's already committed to looking after Harry. And of course, later in this book, we'll, we'll see Hagrid re-welcome Harry into the wizarding world. So there's this lovely protective element that he offers. Yeah, and I think that over the course of the seven books, maybe we can track Hagrid's commitment because we see that... Motivate some really bad decisions, too. Absolutely. Like, right? really big mistakes. He loses sight of all other priorities. He wants to take care of this baby dragon, so he reveals a big secret that could have catastrophic impacts. Or he starts asking Harry, Hermione, and Ron to make really bad decisions to, like, mourn a spider. So Hagrid, Hagrid seems to be an argument of being overcommitted to something. And that resonates with me. I want to be committed to something, but not so much so that I'm not reading the room. I feel like there's a warning in Hagrid. Hmm. I think we also really see Dumbledore's commitment. You know, McGonagall is suspicious of Hagrid throughout the novels of of his trustworthiness, and you've just explained why. Dumbledore is always so clear on who to trust, with Snape as well. And so I think Dumbledore is is offering us um, the idea of being committed to the best in people. And that's something we see him exhibit all across the novels. And and that's already at play here in being so trustworthy of Hagrid. I'm going to be interested to, to see if, like Hagrid, that also leads him to make some bad decisions. I can't quite work it out, but is Dumbledore's commitment to always seeing the best in people something that risks people's lives at certain points? And I think maybe it is, but it'll be interesting to pay attention to. Questions to which the answer is yes. This is the fun thing when you read it through a theme, like you really do. It's you can everywhere. see it everywhere. Wow, this is, someone should do a podcast. Someone should do a podcast. Each week, we're going to use a different traditional sacred practice to engage with Harry Potter. And this week, we're going to do Lectio Divina, a traditional Christian practice that literally means sacred reading in Latin. So we have sort of put our own tweak on Lectio Divina in order to use it for our own devices. Um, This is a traditional Christian practice. This might not be exactly the way that people do it in your local Bible study, but this is how we're going to do it. Now, the idea is that you flip through the sacred text and wherever your finger lands on the page, you engage that word or phrase at four different levels of reading. The quote we found this week is right in the middle of chapter one. You flatter me, said Dumbledore calmly. Voldemort had powers I will never have. So what's the first level at which we're going to engage this phrase? The first step is just narrative, right? So we just look at the quote and 
think through all of the things that are happening on a literal narrative level. So, Casper, you flatter me, said Dumbledore calmly. Voldemort had powers I will never have. He's talking to McGonagall. That's right. So McGonagall tells Dumbledore that he's different, that he, you know, he's he's the only one that Voldemort's ever been afraid of. And Dumbledore really pushes back and says, first of all, you flatter me, which is interesting. We can think about what he means there. Does, is it, you know, is he genuinely flattered by her thinking he's the most powerful wizard? Or is he kind of using that to hold her off and say, no. I can't think of a time that the word flatter isn't loaded. Compliment can be literal, right? Oh, that's such a nice compliment. But when do you ever hear flatter? Not a little ironically, like flatterer or, oh, you flatter me. Like, right, it's negative, right? And it's coming close to, I don't know, some of the deadly sins or something of, of pride. Right. It's, it's not a nice thing because it means it's not true. I think that's important, actually. That's he's so saying you flatter me because he's saying, actually, it's not true. Voldemort had powers I will never have. Okay, so we're finishing up with step one, which is just the literal what happened in the text. The second step of Lectio Divina is looking at allegory. What metaphors are hidden in the text? What symbols can we find in the words that are used? What strikes you, Vanessa? Any symbols or allegorical ideas that strike you? What I love about Dumbledore saying Voldemort has powers I will never have, because I think literally... What he could mean is that Voldemort is a more talented wizard than I am, right? But I think maybe metaphorically, allegorically, what he's saying is that Voldemort has harnessed powers that I will never choose to have. That Voldemort went down a road that I will never go down. And so I think, actually, I also really love the word will. He is willing himself in this future tense way and, and also in a he's fading himself through his decision. I will never go down that path. And I think that that is true in our lives as well. I could will myself to be a lot of different things. I could will myself to be a marathon runner. But I, and I want to be a version of that. I want to be a runner and I want to be a healthy person. But I'm not willing to put the energy into being a marathon runner. That sounds painful and like a huge time commitment. So that is a power I will never have. And there's no judgment in that. There's no saying that is a good power to have or a bad power to have. And I think that there's something beautiful in that and saying these are the powers I'm going after. I'm going after being healthy and I'm going after spending time reading and time with friends. I'm not going after marathon running. Yeah, Dumbledore's core struggle is with power. The fact he chooses not to become Minister of Magic is so much to do with his fear of how he would use his own power. I'm always thinking about names in the Potter series because there's so much interesting stuff that's hidden within names. And Voldemort is a really important title, right, that Tom Riddle chooses for himself. And more, obviously, in French is death. And the idea of Voldemort is kind of, um, vol is, I can never quite remember the French word, forgive me, folks, but there's something about moving or running away from. So, you know, as we know, he's terrified of death. That is that is Riddle's biggest fear. And so even in the name that he chooses of this dark wizard name, there is this kind of running away from death symbolically there. So that strikes me in this phrase. The third step of Lectio Divina is the idea of reflection. How does this text speak to you in your life today? And how can we read it towards our theme of commitment? The word flatter really jumps out at me because I think I'm I'm quite good at flattering people. And and I'm realizing now that when I think I'm being nice or I'm, I think I'm complimenting someone, it's actually an empty compliment if it's flattery because it's not true. And people know it's not true when they hear it. So it might be a nice kind of sugar coating. But the thing that I'm in, giving them that's inside the sugar coating is like an empty or even a bitter thing. 
So it's really making me think about the line between giving someone a compliment and appreciating someone and flattering them to make them feel good, which actually might only make them feel worse. Right. And maybe it even breaks trust. Right. It's like I can't trust you to tell me what's really happening. That's a really great point, Vanessa. You're so good at making points, for example. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that was rude. Okay, my turn. What is interesting to me along the power conversation, there are obviously a lot of powers that I theoretically could have that I'll never have. And there's a lot of sadness in that, right? In order to be good at anything, you have to commit yourself to it. And there's sort of that Gladwellian idea of 10,000 hours. And and whenever you pick one thing, you're saying no to all these other things. And so I'm wondering if I'm committed to the right powers. You know, I'm, I'm committed to writing and I'm committed to reading well. But, you know, should I be committed to social justice more and I don't know, without being too dramatic about it, right? That's really a contemplation of mortality. It's the fact that we have a finite amount of time in this world. And so there are only certain powers that I can really call. So that's what these themes and the idea of commitment has really brought up for me. Unless you get a philosopher's stone. Which I'm in the market for. What's the fourth theme? So the fourth theme is invitation. And that's where we, you know, really try to honor the work that we've done so far and ask ourselves, so what action are we going to take? I think this idea, I'm, I'm really stuck on Voldemort's name and this idea of running from death and the fear of death, which I think relates to this, you know, that we only have so much time and, and what are we going to choose to cultivate So I am going to, well, it's kind of cheating because I do it already, but every morning when I'm in the shower, I say to myself, I might die today, which sounds intense, but it's actually a really liberating practice I've found because it makes me appreciate what, what I have, even if it's just the hot water running over my body. Well, and I think that recommitting yourself to something, I don't know, if you do it every day, maybe you just sort of say it ritualistically. and Now I'm going to say it like I mean it. That's what I'm going to do. How about you, Vanessa? I think that I am also going to recommit myself to something. And I'm just justifying that that's not a bad thing. That is an action. So the thing that I think I'm going to try to do, I'm going to answer my own reflection, right? So I said, am I making the right choices? And I think I'm just going to acknowledge that I'll never know if I made the best possible choices, but it doesn't matter. I made them and I made them rationally and I gave a lot of thought to them and hopefully I went with my gut on them. So I'm going to commit myself to even getting better and at the choices I've already made. So I made the choice to be a chaplain and I'm going to try to get even better at chaplaincy. And I made the choice to be a conscientious reader and I'm going to keep doing research about how to be a better and better reader rather than constantly spending all this time wondering what other powers I could have cultivated, I'm going to try to move toward just recommitting myself to the things that I've already chosen. Finally, we'll end each episode with a blessing for some of the characters that we've encountered in the chapter. What I love about blessings is that I feel like when you bless something, you are tapping in to your most vulnerable wish for someone. And I just think that when you bless something, you are admitting that you have no power over something, and yet you are hoping with every fiber of your being. Blessing is really a lost art these days, and it's it's been something that's so important in so many people's lives, and it's something we want to retrieve a little bit. So we'll bless the characters, and we'll hope you'll take the blessing with you also. Vanessa, who is your blessing for this week? 
I've made a commitment that every week as we do these blessings, I would like to bless a woman from the novels. And so this week, I want to offer my blessing for Professor McGonagall, who we haven't discussed, but throughout this chapter, she is sitting in her cat form on this wall watching this family. You know, I just imagine the rest of the wizarding world is out there celebrating, but McGonagall still feels as though she has a duty. And talk about commitment. She is always committed, first and foremost, to protecting her students protecting the vulnerable in her care. I'm just, I'm grateful for everyone in the world who does that. And I feel like that gesture is often an invisible gesture. And, you know, she's quite invisible in this chapter. She's just sitting on a wall as a cat. But she is sort of, you know, laying hands on this house and blessing this house, metaphorically showing us how the wizarding love is going to also protect Harry, not just the family bonds. Casper, who do you want to offer a blessing to this week? I want to bless Dumbledore. He's made this really big decision to leave this totally vulnerable baby on the doorsteps of people he knows are not perfect. And he is embarking on something really risky, but he has made a choice and he is going to see it through. And I think, you know, just like we're starting out on this adventure of a new podcast and a a new project you know, a blessing for beginnings, um, I think, is really embodied in, in Dumbledore. So um, for anyone who's starting a new project, that blessing is for you also. So that was our first episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Produced by me, Casper Terkyle, Vanessa Zoltan, and Ariana Nadelman. Next week, we'll be back reading the second chapter of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, The Vanishing Glass, reading it through the theme of loneliness. We'd like to thank the following people from the bottom of our hearts for making this possible. So a big thanks to Rosie Hosking for coming up with the name, Robert Majowski for the fabulous photographs, Lauren Taylor, Shane Bannon, and Rufus for their support, Nick Boll and Ivan Paisau for their Amazing music. For all their hard work, Tessaly Deal, Kate Sullivan, and Hannah O'Neill. Bryce Gilfillian, our first donor, Stephanie Paulsell, Matt Potts, and Amy Hollywood, some of our mentors. Greg Epstein and the Humanist Hub for supporting this idea from the beginning. Charlie and Rebecca Ludley for being some of the first people who believed in this work. Wonderful Graham from the Hub Communications Office and our fabulous 100-plus Kickstarter supporters who have made all of this possible. And last and certainly not least, our Harry Potter's a Sacred Text reading group. Thank you all so, so much. I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy. Why are we quoting him to love her? Why?